Hello there, and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting and be finding out what inspires them. We will also be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession and of course share some of the funny stories that happen along the way. This week we sit down with Tom Griffiths, also known on Twitter as at TJ Griffiths. Uh, Tom is a assistant head teacher working in year six. He leads on maths curriculum and assessment in his school uh, and he's got some fantastic suggestions and ideas uh, around about how we can develop our curriculum and other areas of our teaching and learning uh, in our own practice. Tom came highly recommended from uh, by Paul Hume, amongst a few other individuals as well, who wanted to hear about his uh, thoughts and ideas in primary education. And so we invited him onto the podcast and I was very excited to sit down with him and have a great conversation about a number of areas uh, that he has to share with us. So I won't keep you in suspense any longer to hear what he has to say. Let's sit back and enjoy the uh, Primary Education Voice episode with Tom Griffiths. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Tom Griffiths. How are you doing today, Tom? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you, Matt? Doing very well, enjoying the start of our half term and uh, getting something Absolutely. done. But relaxing at the <laughs> same time as well. Very important, that. Uh, so we'll start with your quick fire questions, as we always do, to get to know a bit you a bit and a bit of your background. So first of all, Tom, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, I'm at TJ Griffiths. Excellent. And how many years have you been in primary education, Tom? Oh, uh, this is my 12th year as a teacher. Yeah, I was a TA for a year before that. Excellent, excellent. So 13 years in primary education, that's great. Mm. Uh, and along that way then, what's been your primary journey so far? What roles and responsibilities have you had? Um, so yeah, started TA, uh, then my PGC, then uh, class teacher, then I was science lead, then I became maths lead at my last school, um, and then assistant head teacher at my current school. Um, and I'm sort of overseeing curriculum, um, assessment and maths. Excellent. Well, those are pretty much my favourite areas. That's great. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and what is your favourite subject, Tom, and why? Um, oh, it's going to be core. It's going to be in English or maths, to be honest. Go on. Why is that then? Um, well, just my love of reading. I could just talk about reading all day. So there's that part in there. I love seeing how creative children get in terms of their writing from that. Um, and then maths, because I know we'll probably talk about it in a bit. Um, I didn't enjoy maths growing up. And I absolutely, since I've become a teacher and I've made that kind of my mission to get better at, I just adore maths now. So I love being able to help with those misconceptions and 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 see children get that light bulb moment of yeah i've got this excellent you're not the first to say that actually it's interesting that the number of people particularly with maths who particularly didn't get it or feel like they were comfortable with it as they were going through their own education but then as a teacher seeing the way it can be taught has actually mm. strengthened that and helped and you want to try and help other yeah. children overcome that that's great mm. um in your own education tom um did you have a favorite teacher and why were they your favorite teacher yeah so my favorite teacher i didn't i didn't enjoy school very much to be honest growing up but when i got to year four uh my teacher at the time mr penny um he's now a head teacher of a 
local private school further up the road actually i've spoken to him a couple of years ago to say thank you he's my favorite teacher he just really inspired me um and gave me the confidence to feel like i could do it and then that's really it was from that year that really set me up for my future i'd say Excellent. That's fantastic. And finally, if you had to, or if you already have, or already do lead one, what after-school club would you run? Uh, I'm a bit boring at the minute. I lead uh, a homework club, so it's not anything <laughs> too, <laughs> too exciting. I, I, I support Key Stage 1 at the moment with that. Um, I would do ooh, a book club, uh, maybe like a script writing club, perhaps. Um, something along those lines. Like, yeah, like a movie club type thing. It's a script writing club. We're not that before. I love that idea. I love so, writing. Yeah. So I guess you just go through that process of creating that play and then performing that, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Love that. That's fantastic. Right. Well, let's dive into uh, the more structured, regular questions then, Tom. So first of okay. all, it, what what inspired you to become involved in primary education in the first place? Um, well, I thought I have been interested since Mr. Penny when I was in year four, like that made me feel better about school. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'd like to be a teacher um, when I'm older. I was never quite 100 percent sure. Um, so when it came to uni, I ended up going and studying law. And then while I was in my final year, um, my now wife was volunteering at a school through the university. Um, it's called Students in Classrooms. And she was like, oh, you know, you were talking about teaching. Why don't you go and get involved? Um, it was, you know, an inner city school. I was in year five, um, supporting in the mornings with English and maths when I wasn't in uni and working with the teacher and seeing what she was doing and how far the children were going in their learning. It just that really, really inspired me. And it made me think, do you know what, I'm, I want to do this now. Um, but as I was coming to the end of my law degree, it was that split thing of, right, do I commit? Do I go down that room, be a solicitor or do I want to teach? So the school I'd been working at, um, they offered me a TA role, which was just for a year, um, which suited me well. And um, I took that as my year to kind of find out what I wanted to do. And uh, yeah, I've never looked back since then. Excellent. Excellent. And so I guess, was it a primary education that interested you because uh, that's where you fell in love with the idea in the first place? Or because yeah. you had that year as a TA? What, what would you say led you to primary? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I, I have such respect for, you know, my secondary colleagues, but I, I couldn't. Uh, I don't feel like I'd be capable of of teaching secondary children. I, I think they they do wonders in secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love I love seeing that journey, you know, of, of young children and seeing them making those connections early on, uh, and then yeah, those building blocks really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say that that was why I enjoyed. That's why I enjoyed primary so much. Excellent. That's brilliant. Well, in primary education, we obviously have uh, some fun- funny things that happen along the way, some moments that we'll, we won't forget. So uh, what's uh, one of those stories you can share from being in primary education? Um, oh, I was having to think about this one. I think for me, I still go back to my NQT year when I was in year two. Um, and I used to have um, a phantom pillar in my room. Um, and it just, for, yeah, it was for, I had it for a few weeks and it just, these poos used to appear it's a lovely story i apologize if you're having your lunch or something um yeah they would just appear in the corners of my classroom or the way i'd laid my tables out in the corners where the tables would meet and i, I just never knew how it happened and they were perfectly formed so I didn't, you know it was it was a bit of a concern really and we did eventually get to the bottom of who it was but um that story has just always um stayed in my mind however 
I have had, to, I've got a pinch um, from my wife. She, she's a teacher as well. Mm. So I can't claim it's my story, but my wife is an NQT. Made me chuckle so much. First school trip, uh, we were living in London at the time. She took the kids on the tube, on the tube um, with her class. Someone stepped on the back of her shoe and her shoe went flying off under the train. And uh, they had they couldn't get on the train. Obviously, they had to wait for the, the train to go. Someone had to come and get her shoe back. And yeah, that that to me was a really funny, maybe more embarrassing actually. But um, <laughs> I, I kind of always think of that when I think of funniest story. But I can't claim that as my own, unfortunately. <laughs> wow. I mean, I've I've had coaches break down, and I've had all sorts of things happen on a school trip. But not a shoe stopping us from going on our train. That's uh, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> and I have to say, yeah, she's when- rather embarrassed. When you uh, when you said uh, a, fa- a phantom poor, at, at first I didn't quite, <laughs> quite catch what you said, and then I thought, are you, oh. is he talking about a phantom poor? <laughs> but when you, at the moment I understood, yes, that's what you're talking about. It was perfectly formed, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's where we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry, I've gone down that route. But yeah, no, myself and the, my teaching assistant, we could not get to the bottom of it. There's someone who was just very clever. We did find out who it was in the end, but... At first, yeah, we were a bit like, oh my gosh, but it, it was very funny to be there at the time. <laughs> Can I imagine so? That's uh, quite skillful by that child, I think. It was. Excellent. Right, so let's move on then uh, to your primary three. So obviously for anyone that's listening to the podcast that maybe hasn't yet so far, these are three primary things about primary education that the guest feels is really important in primary education. So it could be an idea or a philosophy or a resource or an approach to their teaching, whatever it is, uh, just three really important things about primary education. So thank you for sending me yours ahead of time, Tom. First of all, uh, we're going to talk about how reading is fundamental. So let's talk about reading and uh, why that's so important to you. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's like RuPaul says something about reading is fundamental. It just it unlocks everything for me i just reading you escape into these incredible worlds you get to broaden not just your horizons but your vocabulary um and i just feel it's such a great place well however you're feeling a book can help um and I, i i just feel that there is always a good book out there um for anybody and i you know, I, I do love that moment at the beginning of the year when you're talking to the children about their reading habits and getting to know them and you've got someone who's, I don't like reading. I'm just like, yep, yeah, right, you will. Let's <laughs> let's go. Let's find let's find out what you like um and, and steer you that way. And I've had um I had one boy already this year who said that and I've already found a load of graphic novels for him and he's already in his element and I just think, Yes, there we go. That's it. That's that's what I love. I think that's such a great, um, a great philosophy to start with is the fact that if there is a child in your classroom that doesn't seem to like reading, then making that a goal to try and get them to encourage to do that. My son is one of those kids that similar to that child in your class who a year or two ago was just like, no, no, not into reading. But then when you find that book that they just like, whatever book that is, you know, that hooks them into that world. And I mm-hmm. think that's such an important thing. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of things then, just to dive a bit deeper on your love of reading yeah. and what you do in the classroom. So first of all, um, what, where would you go to find specific books you would like to find out? Or if you're doing a topic, for example, where would you go to find those stories that can really catch those children's interest? Yeah, um, I mean, I love reading, so I, I like to think I've got a good sort of background of books that are out there. But I always think if, if you haven't, and it's a starting point, Scott Evans has just the most phenomenal website 
um, the reader teacher. Um, I direct so many of our parents to that um, and, and staff as well. Um, you know, we do have a, a brilliant reading spine at our school, but equally, I just feel everything Scott puts up there. Um, you've got so many different, like every year group's got their own set books that he he recommends. But then also, you know, if you're a fan of Michael Morpurgo, then he says like this, and it just gets you into those not as, you know, lesser known authors who are absolutely phenomenal, but just don't end up on, you know, a supermarket's bookshelf. So the parents don't necessarily always see them, unfortunately. So um, I just I think that's a great way of unlocking it, unlocking books. That's great. And that's so helpful because I remember as an NQT, you know, being asked by parents, oh, my child loves Harry Potter or my child loves, mm-hmm. you know, um, Tom Gates or whatever. Uh, you know, what, what other book? But they're just reading the same book. What can I do to find or mm-hmm. what, what other books would you recommend? And as an NQT, who I'll be honest, you know, wasn't particularly into reading much myself. Uh, that was a very hard question because I'm like, yeah. I'm just thinking on my bank of reading and it wasn't very wide. It's much wider now, thank goodness. But, you know, I think the resources like that from Scott Evans would be really useful mm. for listeners. But perhaps like myself, yeah. didn't have that. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think as, as an NQT, I, I, you know, you don't have time to read as much, do you? You're so swamped with everything. But I think we, you know, as teachers, we do really have that responsibility to to be reading teachers. And I know that's easier said than done but i i think it's crucial that you know if we we want to be inspiring children we've we've got to see even if you know you are just looking at um you know amazon's list of what's been released this week or you know different publishers websites whatever i think just trying to keep our finger to the pulse of what's out there i think is really really important to to support kids and, and, and their families yeah, absolutely. What 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 advice would you give to a teacher who, whether it be an ECT or or any teacher really, it could be an experienced teacher who wants to get into reading more but just doesn't feel they have the time. What would you your advice be? Um, I, I mean, I would say definitely look at the Reading for Pleasure um, website through um, the um, Open University and the UKLA. Um, I was lucky enough to be a co-leader of one of the Reading for Pleasure groups at the beginning of this year. Um, and Professor Teresa Kremen's work on reading for pleasure is just phenomenal. Um, and that for me, you know, I, I learned so much from that, um, just in terms of like the pedagogy um, around ensuring things like within your classroom, that time for independent reading, reading aloud, your learning environment, um, and, and, and just building, you know, getting good subject knowledge of books, really. So, I mean, I'd always recommend going that going down that route to to learn a bit more yourself definitely excellent and then just one last thing on reading i want to dive into mm. then is obviously you have a love of reading you think it's really important mm-hmm. uh what things in the school or your class have you done to try and promote that love of reading for for, for the children obviously we've had people on the podcast before who shared about reading and they've shared perhaps different things they've tried out that have really worked what are some things for you that have worked really well like book blethers are a brilliant way um of just having that, that informal time. Um, I know that like timetables in class, you know, I'm in class myself, it is hard, but for me, my like non-negotiables are after lunch, we have our own quiet reading time. And at the end of the day, we have our class story. And that for me in our timetable is a non-negotiable. I will have that every day. Um, uh, we sort of, so I find that that's great to obviously foster that love of reading. And the yeah, book, book letters just to have a chat about books. Um, I know you had Cassie, I think, this morning on for a chat, and she's published um, on Twitter some amazing questions um, around reading for pleasure, um, which I haven't used yet. I, I do admit I'm going to be after half term, 
but um she's got like question a week which i've got an idea of how i want to do that and just post it notes and you know get these collected but i think that's that's a phenomenal way as well with reading um over lockdown uh, we created reading pads which again was a great way of keeping in contact with the children uh for those who couldn't who weren't in school at the time as key workers so that was great to be able to say like oh look this is what i'm reading at the moment what are you up to and the conversations that the children were having on padlet was like, incredible and so like heartwarming to to read that um and equally even though the children are back in we've done that again for this academic year as well so like over half term now i've put a couple of reading books on there that i've read recently and i'm looking forward to seeing you know some of the books that they want to share that's such a great idea and i think that that's so much more engaging and gets the children talking more than you know having your reading record and getting it signed and bringing that in because i think whilst that's important getting the giving the children mm. that virtual platform just to pick to stick up that padlet and say reading mm. this love this and then letting other children comment on it and, and sharing their thoughts it, it's such a yeah, great idea that very simple but very effective oh it is yeah and i mean I, i'm not the greatest tech person but it's, it's so simple when i was showing them the other day and it's just you know press that plus that loads up find the picture and you just click on buttons and then it's loaded in there it's brilliant so it, it doesn't take too long either. Absolutely. No, I need, I, I've seen a few people using Padlet recently, again, uh, just to kind of share what's been they're reading at home. So I think that's a great uh, mm-hmm. avenue for, for a teacher that wants to really engage that love of reading more in their classroom. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and, and equally for, for parents, I think it's a great one. I had parents at um, Parents Evening last year that were saying, like, oh, thanks for the Padlet. It's nice. We can go on when our child's in bed just to see you know, I was year four last year, so what books you were recommending and what books other children were reading. And again, it just takes them outside of that scope of it's got to be J.K. Rowling, it's got to be David Williams, um, you know, what what else is there in out there? So, because there's just such a wealth of books and I find I'm reading more children's book mus- books myself than adult books because they are so brilliantly well-written. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great. And I love those ideas you've just given there. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Uh, let's move on to your second of the primary three then Uh, and this is all about don't tell me your mum and dad couldn't do maths so you can't this idea of you know a parent says they they were never good at this subject and so yeah they're not surprised their child can't do it do you want to go ahead and explain why that's an important philosophy yeah um i I feel that same with um staff at various schools i've worked at over the years that equally say that same thing like oh no i can do year six because i can't do the maths and of course you can of course you can Primary maths is the everyday maths that we are using in our life, whether you realise it or not. Um, And I think for me, uh, as I've mentioned already, I really struggled with maths growing up. Um, You know, that wasn't my mum and dad tried to help me the best I could. I just, to me, I didn't understand it. I had a tutor. She used to get a textbook out and, you know, do lots of sums and that was fine. But I still didn't really understand what I was doing. Um, So... Yeah, I, I feel like I had, you know, a bit of a ceiling put on my learning anyway by the teachers because I wasn't that, you know, wasn't that good, wasn't that strong. Um, and, and yeah, when it came to um, my, you know, I got my C at GCSE, so that was fine. I, I, and I worked, you know, really hard for that. So I was very proud of myself for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then equally, when it came to my uh, PGCE year, I just knew that's what I needed to work on and, and work much harder at. And as I said at the beginning, now I like to see those misconceptions and, and be able to think of it from the child's point of view, like I would have done. Um, and it just, yeah, plenty of parents would just go, oh, no, I, I, I'm not, I wasn't good at maths growing up. So that's why they're not. And you just think, no, there's, there's no link between that there. It's, it's perhaps it's their confidence or it's the things that we're saying and we 
and normalizing that that that's kind of an acceptable thing and it's like no we we are good at we you are good at maths you can do that it's it's just that confidence and you know whether it's recalling your whether it's your number bonds or it's your multiplication facts that you're struggling with but you will get there it's just you can do it yeah and i think that's um a really important thing to I think and we're talking about maths here because I think that maths mm. is certainly one that comes up a lot with this kind of uh, ethos or attitude that you know if I couldn't do it then oh I'm not surprised that they're struggling with that part of it so that's mm. okay yeah um, and actually having that having that aspiration for those children is so important like you mentioned before not having that ceiling over the head because oh my parents couldn't do it so that's okay if I can't do it I guess Looking at kind of first of all the children's side of it, what would your um, advice be, or strategies be, or approach be with children in your classroom who kind of have this view of themselves that they just can't do maths? What would you What would you recommend with that? I think it. I mean, it's about building that confidence up. I think um, you, you know, it's unlocking. I think it's making sure we're unlocking the basics. Really, I think a maths, you know, like a the wall isn't it of, of what you build like early reading if you if you've not got those essentials in place like you're not you know number one to ten for example it impacts so much on the rest of your maths curriculum like i know when we were counting in tenths in year four last year being able to go back and apply our number bonds and then plenty of my children that couldn't recall them fluently enough so we spent that time going back on the basics and i think you've got to and especially i feel that being back in year six this year is keep going back and reviewing that because once you've got those, it's just a springboard then um, for the rest of maths. I'd say as well, it's, um, you know, making sure you've got the equipment that you need, um, those manipulatives there to help you. Because I think it's, you know, plenty of times, you know, we talk about the like concrete and pictorial uh, and abstract. And I think you, you've got to have that, that there. It's not necessarily going to do the maths for you, but it's a way to see the maths. And I know if I'd have been growing up and I had the bar model there, for example, for problem solving i feel that would have helped me so much more whereas i just didn't have anything so yeah i yeah. think <laughs> I, I think that those structures and those models and that variation mm. of those representations are so key um mm. and it's and it's brilliant because they don't just give an opportunity to help children go deeper with that learning for those that are, are doing well with the understanding of the maths getting them to represent it in a different way or explain it using a model is fantastic but actually it supports mm. those children as well who are struggling more with that i know that with ratio and proportion for me i, I felt i was pretty good with maths growing up but it, that was just one area of maths that i just really didn't seem to get a grip on i wasn't getting it but then we had a bar mm. modeling training about four years ago where they showed how to work out and not do the, not co like calculate the answers with bar models that's not what they're for it's just a way to mm. represent what is in the problem yeah. so you can identify mm. what you have to do next once i yeah. saw that my mind was blown open and i was just like whoa i, I get this now um, and i think that as a teacher using that concrete pictorial abstract approach mm -hmm. right from reception or early years right through to year six yeah. is such yeah. an important aspect of that isn't it yeah um, oh absolutely it just and then you're just you're not putting a ceiling on that learning then because once you've you've got that and you know that's what you can use to help you then yeah the world's your oyster in that sense so yeah absolutely um so obviously you know having that ethos in the classroom is so important i think that mm. having across the idea that you know we, when we make mistakes they're not failures but we learn from yeah. those and we develop from that is such a key part and like you've just said about building that confidence building up those basics with those children and also making sure you have those manipulatives is key so as a teacher yeah. we have great control over that in the classroom don't we 
What would you uh, say to a parent then that says that in the parents' evening and says, oh, I know they struggle with maths, but uh, but it's okay, I've always struggled. What would be your approach then going from that point? Yeah, I mean, I think we have, um, we use sometimes say we're rock stars so it's sort of i might you know suggest in that case that that would be a good starting point i think it, it depends on the parent and and perhaps the support that they're mm. able to offer i guess mm. um but i think that kind of yeah having those we used to have mathematics um but i, I do really like numbots and, and time table rock stars it's quite low stakes and it's fun um you know it's very colorful and there's lots there to support them. And I like numbots. Um, my daughter uses it quite a bit. So I enjoy looking at how the different way that the that everything's represented on this. So I've, you know, that would perhaps be a starting point for them, definitely. Um, and then as well with the parent, I think perhaps depends on the age, but it's sort of looking around, go and spot like how, where do you see maths in your everyday life? Like start it small that way. That it's, you know, if you're walking to the shops, like looking at house numbers with odd and even and um I don't know, numbers of cars as they're coming past a bit, you know, like data handling side of it. It's trying to just find the everyday part, I suppose, with the cooking, when you're baking, if you're looking at a recipe, you know, getting your child to be measuring, um, looking at, oh, this recipe's for four people, but we need it for eight. So what should we do there? So it's, it, I, I perhaps it's trying to link it to the everyday part um, of, of their life, I suppose, so that they see that and then that gets them excited for maths because they... It's, it's relevant to their learning, isn't it? If the children don't have that context there, why why are we bother teaching it? Yeah, I think that's so important. Actually, like you mentioned, it's suggesting these things when parents are kind of bringing their children new into the school and, you, and they're in early years and key stage one. That's the prime time, isn't it? Mm. To say, look, yeah. get involved with it. We don't want you to sit down with them and tr- get them working out you know, column methods and formal multiplication methods and all these things. We just want you to talk about numbers, talk about maths with them. Uh, and I think that sometimes I think our parents have had um, negative experiences with maths, which then obviously switches them off from mm. wanting to engage in that process and doing those things with their children. Um, and so w- would there be anything else you would recommend to a parent who perhaps is neg- just feels negatively about that subject and isn't necessarily looking to how they could do it better, but just aren't sure they can really help with that because they don't feel like they 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 enjoy maths. Yeah, I, I think it's them. I suppose it's the relationship you've got with the parent, isn't it? To to for them to know that you're there and support you. You want to support them, and ultimately you're both wanting the same thing, which is for their child to succeed. Um, so I mean, like a, quite a lot of my kids know that if they're struggling with their maths homework, I'm here. Obviously, there's certain times I've got break duty and things like that, but I'm breaking lunchtime. If you want me to have a little look at that homework with you, then I'm here and we can look at it together. And then I try to make sure that we just start looking at it together, but I'm not doing the whole thing with them because I want them then to take it back. And then that way with the parent, they can go, oh, yeah, we looked at, so like one of my kids, look, we looked at, um, we were doing like multiples and factors and prime numbers last week. So we looked at a couple of questions together, but then I said, all oh, right, there you go. How are you feeling? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good. So off you go then you can go and finish those last bits tonight then and and then he happily went off and did them so I suppose it's that empowering them isn't it you know empowering the child and then at least the parent knows oh yeah they're there they want to support and help excellent Um, I mean equally I'd look out for um if if you know in the local authority I have seen a few um workshops that have been coming up recently they're all virtual but just around like maths anxiety whether it's the parent or the child um because exactly as you said often you know it, it can be parents that it's their 
uh, perceptions of maths and, and it's the things that they say without really realizing it but then their child just doesn't feel confident as well so I'd be looking around as well if there's anything that I can steer them in that direction of um, like our school website as well just thinking of another strategy we make sure we've got our written methods and mental strategies on the website as well for math so again if a parent's not sure I can sort of say oh here you go why don't you check out our website check out the maths page and then you can um, can see what we're doing um, I'd like it my plan kind of moving forward is to get some children actually involved so they can I can film them doing that bit to show I thought that would be more effective but we've got things up there as a starting point yeah that and actually that last thing you just suggested is, is something we've just been working on at our school as well uh, we just had done our long division uh, which I'm sure you have with the year sixes a couple of weeks ago. yeah, yeah. Uh, and we used the iPads to get them to record the screen whilst they spoke as they were working out this mm. problem then we can put a couple up on the website uh, and oh, just perfect. and just show that you know it's it's something which we can all take part in and actually it was wonderful yeah. because the children that were doing it weren't just the high flyers and everything like that the whole class did it mm. and all the children took part uh, in that process because actually they were and this is a big thing for me is talking through that maths and being able to explain yeah. it uh, and so that helps them to understand that even more so that's a that's mm. brilliant great suggestions there Thank you very much. Uh, let's move on then to your third of the primary three, uh, which is about knowing the way you're going and supporting everyone on that journey. So uh, why is that important for you, uh, Tom? I just feel, uh, I think as a leader, it's it's that, um, I suppose it's that distributed leadership, isn't it really? It's finding, um, you know, it, it's seeing the potential in everybody. Even to inspire other people and by aiming high and, and being an authentic leader, I feel that you then empower others, um, to be, you know, it's that succession planning, I, I suppose, isn't it as well? But I just, um, I just feel you get far more out of your staff um, and being able to unlock people's potential, potential is just such a fantastic thing to see as a leader because yeah. yeah you can't be doing it all so you've got to you know you've got to have that team dynamic there to support yeah. each other yeah absolutely and i think that like you say you you can't do it all yourself you, you have to be able to you know develop other leaders you know as you go along that journey because otherwise things won't mm. be covered because you can't physically do it all yourself um so yeah. i guess what you're saying there is that this idea of vision and this idea of knowing where you want to be is kind of the first step yeah. really isn't it on anything that you want to yeah. do is that right yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I've been reading a book right here, actually, uh, James Kerr's Legacy. Um, it's something I've been reading through the MPQH um, and it's looking at the All Blacks and it's the message, the lessons that they were following to become the successful team that they became. Um, and it's what they can teach us in schools. And, and I haven't been able to put it down because it's just so relevant to to being, yeah, to, to, to just us as leaders, I suppose leadership as a whole. Really, I guess that's why it's such a good book. But, um, you know, just that thing of, that authenticity not being um you know just getting involved with everything if you're asking someone to do something well do it too you know you're every you know you're just working at that level with that everyone is a team and you're a team player and i, I suppose for, for what i saw over covid we we all really came together as a team as a school um and, and that's really just made us so much better and so much stronger that um yeah, not that we're excited for Ofsted, but I feel, you know, we can really show them what we're capable of when we see them. Because I think our middle leaders particularly have had a real, um, you know, looking at the intent of our curriculum as we've, we've amped it. Um, just everyone's 
uh, it's just a fantastic place to be at the minute when you when you talk to leaders about their subjects and, and I'm, I'm really proud of, of the hard work that everyone's put in to do that yeah not quite inviting officers through the door but just no, e- no eagerly no. anticipating i suppose is uh, <laughs> yeah <that> is it <laughs> That's yeah great. no definitely not, not an invitation right now no <laughs> But actually, it's interesting you mentioned that obviously in your school, in your setting, uh, you're kind of revamping and re-looking at that curriculum. And obviously, that's a journey that a lot of schools are going through right now, it seems, mm. and um, for obvious factors and, and reasons, yes. not, not to mention the one we just mentioned. Uh, mm. But uh, it's interesting how that's been going on. And that's really led to a push on the need to develop subject leaders in schools and mm. just support them in becoming leaders in their own rights in that subject, mm. knowing clearly where that subject is going and for themselves having that vision of where they're going and i guess mm-hmm. you know obviously we have a, a, a wide variety of listeners onto this podcast we have school leaders we have early career teachers we have all sorts of teachers so obviously this principle i think can apply in a number of ways obviously for school leaders there's a direct relevance there but actually mm-hmm. as subject leaders most teachers listening will will lead a subject in their school in some mm-hmm. way um what would be your kind of advice in terms of those subject leaders how they can gain a vision if they don't already have for their subject what what would be the first place to begin looking if they want to really improve that leadership of their own subject yeah i mean hopefully um they'll have sort of a member of slt supporting them mm-hmm. um you'd hope because i think that's really important that you've got somebody in your school that's particularly if you are you know a new leader you know you shouldn't be expected someone I've, I've really enjoyed doing that for the members of our school um is sitting and working with them and i think really the first thing is it's looking at your curriculum it's looking at as a subject leader what is your school offering to the pupils that you you that you've got um it's looking at you know that progression aspect looking at it from eyfs all the way up to year six um which i think is really important i mean i, I you know i feel for everybody because i think there just isn't time. You know, everyone is just so pushed at the minute. I think there's a lot of expectation now on subject leaders that there wasn't before from this framework. Um, but it's there. So it's it's how we manage it. And, and that's where I think that support element comes in, that you're trying to work together with people, really. You know, talking to, if we're not in a map, but, you know, if you're in, a, in you know, making links with other schools, I suppose, it's, it's seeing what they offer in terms of that curriculum as well. Um, and working together on on um yeah what 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 do you need to do you know is it is there a sequencing issue that perhaps needs amending um i think as long as as a subject lead as long as you know in your subject what you want and where your subject's going that's the important part i think that's because ultimately you've got to sell that haven't you you're you know you've got to have that intent behind it so it's knowing knowing your subject um and and um yeah the kind of then then you can think of action plans and what you want to do next i'd say that, sorry if that makes sense yeah but you know that is brilliant that is absolutely brilliant because i think that you know there is this uh like you mentioned because of the framework that we have and you know people can argue for and against that and, and in some ways it actually has helped us think about how we develop and provide this this balanced approach, uh, in school yeah. and i think that there's some definite positives from that but like you yeah. say it's required school leaders to have to kind of put that on to other teachers because they can't possibly yeah. strategize and think about every single subject mm. in, in a primary yeah. school and so those subject leaders have then more put onto them to think about yeah. uh, but i love that kind of first of all like how 
you mentioned how a member of SLT should be supporting these subject leaders because we can't just say, well, there you go, there's a subject, go run with it, there's your job. We'll see yeah. you at the end of your performance management to see if it's a bit stronger. You know, mm -hmm. that support needs to be there. Um, yeah. But actually, link making links with other schools and knowing where you are and where you're going, I think that obviously schools will be having different approaches to different subjects, and that's okay mm -hmm. as long as yeah. you have the the rationale behind it, so you've thought yeah. about your content, exactly. and you know where you want to go with that. Yeah, and that, and that's exactly it, isn't it? It's that we I think we should um, you know it's that collaborate not com um, competition, isn't it? And it, I think exactly as you said, every school is different. We all have a wide variety of learners. Our schools are so diverse in lots of different ways. So it's tailoring your curriculum to your school. You you know it best, but it's then knowing why you're doing it. And as long as you can explain that, I think that that's the that's the big part. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like. The listing or suggesting actions for individual subject leaders would be impossible because not only mm. are all subjects so diverse and different in their content and this and the knowledge that they need to give to the children in their primary journey yeah. but actually as you just mentioned all schools are different you'll be at different stages some will be further yeah. ahead where they want to be than others and so i guess it's just the idea of looking at where you are now having the tools to be able to evaluate where you are now clearly with that support yeah. from a member of senior leadership team and then planning out in small steps, you know, over the next years, if it needs to be years, mm -hmm. what that yeah. process looks like, which I think is important. Yeah. That's really, yeah. that's really good. I've really enjoyed that that little discussion there on that because that's you know, it, as many schools, you know, thinking about subject leadership is something which our, our my setting is thinking about right now, uh, and so I think that's uh, been really useful. Um, no, I love talking curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I might be talking to you a bit more another time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That sounds good. <laughs> well, um, thank you, uh, Tom, for your time. I mean, there's three fantastic primary three um, points there about reading, developing um, confidence in maths, and also this idea of leadership and knowing where you're going and taking people with you. I think that's been really, really useful. I've got two final questions for you before we finish up, Tom. Uh, first yeah. of all, who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? Um, well, yeah, that's a tricky one because um, there are so many fantastic people but I know I, I haven't seen um, or heard um, yet uh, Rob Late he's on Twitter at um, Articulate um, and he's a fantastic um, teacher he um, is the co-leader of a reading, reading for Pleasure group um, and I got to work with him earlier this year um, around reading and, and he's so inspirational he would be a great person to to talk to I'd say and definitely to listen to Excellent. Well, I'll definitely add him onto our list and we'll make our way through. That's brilliant. I'm so excited <laughs> to talk to all these brilliant educators like yourself, Tom. And so to finish, <laughs> Thank you. So to finish off today, then, final question is, what is the best thing about being in primary education for you? Um, I just love, you, you never know what is going to happen. I think that's probably the, it's being flexible, isn't it? It's that you, you never know the day that you're going to have. Uh, and I've definitely felt that this academic year so far in particular. Um, but I think, um, yeah, it, it's just it's just brilliant. I just love the the unexpected things that are going to happen. The you know those teaching moments that really elicit an amazing response from somebody that perhaps you weren't necessarily expecting. Um, those those smiles that you see um, across all kinds of different lessons and and from diff for different reasons. It's just it just makes it a fun place when it's long hours and you're very tired and you're not you know you're run down. Um, and you've got yeah, COVID at your door all the time. It's um, it, it, it makes the day much easier. 
Absolutely. That's a great answer. And I think even before the last 18 months, I mean, schools were already unexpected places with all yeah. sorts of strange things happening. And Definitely. You know, we, we just had uh, someone coming in to do school photos the other week when we didn't even know that was meant to be happening and just all sorts of crazy oh, stuff God. going on that. <laughs> uh, but never mind, never mind COVID and all of that as well. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, they're so unexpected, but like you say, such wonderful moments as well. Mm. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Tom. Thank you for being willing. Well, thanks to for talk. having me. Thanks for being willing to talk, and thanks for your time on Primary Education Voices. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, wasn't that another fantastic chat? Uh, Tom has so many wonderful thoughts and suggestions about primary education. He is a, a wonderful person to follow on Twitter, first of all. And so make sure if you haven't followed him at TJ Griffiths that you do so. Uh, he always has a wonderful uh, welcome to all uh, the, the people that follow him on Twitter with some photos that you can choose how you're feeling that day and what's on for the day ahead. And I love engaging with that every now and then. Uh, but actually, Tom's suggestions on what his primary three were, were really interesting. And we had a great discussion on those. First of all, about reading. Now, obviously, you know, as regular listeners to the podcast will know, reading has come up quite often on this podcast, as it really does underpin and unlock everything that we do in the classroom. If a child loves uh, reading and is able to read well, then a whole world of knowledge and information is suddenly more available to them. Uh, and so no surprises then when Tom suggested that his first of the primary three would be about reading. But it was great to hear his uh, ideas on where to go. If you want to hear and find out more about which books are really helpful and great right now in primary education, uh, suggesting as well how you can use reading for the reading for pleasure website and then what he does in the classroom as well making sure that we have that consistent time for some quiet reading and a class read in your classroom every single day and to be honest that is a lot more difficult than it's than, than it sounds um, because it's very easy uh, to just say make sure we do that but as many teachers will know actually doing that and following through with it is such a difficulty but Tom values that. And I think that's something that we need to make sure we remember as well. Talking about our reading and actually Tom made reference uh, to uh, Cassie um, Hayward Tapp, who was on the uh, podcast last week and talked about her book talk questions. And so please do, if you haven't already, use this as another reminder to go and seek those out. And if not, I'm sure Cassie would love to uh, have a message or a tweet from you just to find out where those are. And also I loved his idea on reading Padlets, you know, on Twitter, on at the Internet, on Searching Padlet on Google will take you to that website and just setting up a reading Padlet with your class is such a very simple thing you can do, but it's such an effective thing which can support children to make sure that they are engaging at home with their reading and seeing what books are out there that they might be interested in. Such a great idea and again, very easy to set up. And so uh, I recommend you doing that if you haven't already. The second of his primary three was this wonderful idea. Well, Actually, not the, the not wonderful idea that primary maths is, um, you know, because a, a parent struggles with maths and therefore their child struggles with maths and helping parents and children both break down that barrier and understanding that that isn't the case. You know, all children can engage with maths and progress and learn more about primary maths. Um, they need to put that effort in. They need some support in many uh, places as well. But anyone can engage and take part in and develop their mathematic mathematical ability. Uh, and Tom obviously spoke very personally from his own experience, which I thought was wonderful, just sharing how he went through that process of trying to overcome that barrier. And it, wanting to help others to do so is a wonderful thing that he shares about. Talking about building confidence, building up the basics, being key, using manipulatives and making sure we have the resources at home 
But what I liked especially was the way that he shared about building that relationship with parents and that being the key. Because obviously, if that um, attitude is, has come from the parents, that is a real difficulty to overcome as, um, as primary colleagues. Uh, but making sure we can do that by building a strong relationship with them, perhaps directing to potential workshops around maths anxiety, and making sure all strategies and uh, methods for completing and doing the maths work that is set in school are all on the website are some steps that can be there to begin that process of helping parents recognise that whilst they may not feel as confident with maths, they can help their children overcome that. Uh, and so that is some great things there. And then, of course, I've not even gotten on to the third of the primary three that he shared about as a leader in school, knowing where you want to go and taking everyone on that journey with you. Now, we talked about generally as, as senior leaders at first, but then very quickly that discussion developed into subject leadership, which many teachers listening to this, unless perhaps you are an early career teacher, uh, you will have some role in leading some aspect of school improvement and development, whether that be directly involved with the school development plan or whether it is simply in your subject area that you lead as well. Um, I think that there were some great principles brought out here by Tom in our discussion. And so please do think about how you as a subject leader, where you're at with your subject. Obviously, when this comes out, we're in the middle of November. We'll have recently had those discussions with senior leaders about performance management and how we can develop those subjects in our in our school. And so thinking perhaps what we can do now to identify where we are at and then making those steps to make sure we are going getting closer to where we want to go. And that really is what it's all about. There is no one set way that every school needs to lead history, for example, or geography. But thinking about where your school is at and putting that into place is such an important part of being a leader. Great thoughts there by Tom. And we could have talked for, for even longer about that. So thank you, Tom, for joining us. Uh, and thank you for the great suggestions you made. All that's left for me to say is that if there's a primary colleague that you'd love to hear more from, contact me on Twitter through at Prime Edgy Voices or me personally at mroberts90matt. And let me know what inspire me, inspiring primary teacher, TA, support staff, school leader that you'd love to hear featured on a future episode. And please do subscribe to the podcast and share it with your fellow primary practitioners. Leave a review on the podcasting platform and that will really help get the word out and raise the primary education voice. Thank you again for joining me to hear another primary education voice and see you again next time when we will meet another inspirational educator.